The last of our high school semifinal matchups. And here we go, and then there were two. Tonight, this is it. 1997 Trans-South Conference Championship game. Ed Robertson welcoming you to TV Confidential. Radio talk show about television. Bo Bridges will join us in our second hour. Bo Bridges, Emmy Award winning actor, star of more than 50 motion pictures, and a host of other TV credits. Bo, along with his daughter Emily Bridges, adapted a textbook on acting called Acting the First Six Lessons into both a compelling play and a compelling film. We will ask them about that. Acting the First Six Lessons is a book that Lloyd Bridges, Bo's dad, passed on to Bo and his brother Jeff when they were young actors, and which Bo since passed on to Emily and her brothers as well. So it is a book that has been a very important part of the Bridges family for three generations. We'll talk about that and more when we welcome Bo Bridges and his daughter Emily Bridges in our second hour. We hope you stay tuned for that later on. This hour, we will welcome Susan Silver. Susan Silver, one of the original writers for the Mary Tyler Moore Show and one of the very first female writers in TV comedy, period. Susan's memoir, Hot Pants in Hollywood, is now available as an audiobook. We'll tell you how you can receive a free bonus chapter of Susan's book and more when Susan Silver joins us later on in this hour. We hope you stay tuned for that as well. In the meantime, we'll open up the program by playing part two of a conversation that began last week with our friend Steve Beverly. Steve Beverly, recently retired professor of broadcast journalism at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee, where he taught broadcast journalism for many, many years. And we talked about this before, point of pride. Many of Steve's students work in television news today. So you're passing on your knowledge and your wisdom and your experience to a new generation of TV reporters and TV broadcasters. One part about Steve's uh, career that we have not talked about before is that in addition to his background, not only working uh, professionally in TV news, but also teaching broadcast journalism, is that Steve called play-by-play for the Union University men's basketball team for many, many years. And we've talked a lot about your news background. Before you started teaching, did you have sports broadcasting background before you went to Union? Well, I I really did, dating back to uh, high school and college. Mm -hmm. I did... Uh, six years of play-by-play sports, uh, primarily basketball, but I did some football and a, a sprinkling of baseball. But I did uh, I did a lot of basketball. I did a lot of high school basketball tournaments that, of course, when you get into uh, March, uh, they're part of the landscape. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I did I did a number of those. And when I was at the University of Georgia during my senior year, I was part of the broadcast team that did the freshman games the last year that the NCAA had freshman teams. And the following year, 1976, is when freshmen then were uh, allowed to play with the varsity. But we called the freshman games on the campus station at uh, the University of Georgia. So I was part of that broadcast team. And then early on in my career, I did weekend sports on WRBL in Columbus, Georgia. But 
I basically got away because I, I moved more into news, and when you're doing news, it a lot of times it splits your concentration and at times your credibility mm-hmm. if you're doing one element and, and you're dipping your feet into the other one. Mm-hmm. So I had been away from, from sports for 17 years, and it was a fluke thing that got me back into it is that the man who... Uh, had been the play-by-play broadcaster for Union University, and he had uh, suddenly, on a Tuesday morning, which was the day of a game <laughs> on television that night, he opted to announce that he would no longer do the games because he was doing so in, in stand of unity with his brother-in-law, who had just been told that his contract was not being renewed by Union University. So I get a call from the legendary athletic director, David Blackstock, who uh, is in the NAIA Hall of Fame. For those of you who aren't familiar with that, the NAIA is it is a sanctioning body like the NCAA, except it is the much smaller schools that dot the landscape of our country. And so I get this call, and it was a, a, he had a distinctive voice, and he says, he sounded a little bit like Mr. Haney on Green Age. <laughs> and, and he goes, Steve, can you help us tonight? And, and I said, well, David, it depends on what you what you need. He said, we need somebody to call our basketball game. <laughs> and, and I said, well, David, I said, let me tell you something. I haven't called game in 17 years. And he said, well, you called them before, didn't you? And I said, oh, yes, I did. And he said, well, you're well qualified. <laughs> so I, 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 I knew he was in a jam. Yeah. So I said, yes, but I said, I'm going to tell you something now. I said, if I totally embarrass myself and you, I said, this is only going to be the one time only. So I did the game that night, and I was, uh, you know, I was... I don't get this often, but I had those internal butterflies just frankly because I wasn't wanting to mispronounce names mm-hmm. or just to do something that was stupid. And you got to understand, in those days, before we had the Internet, uh, this is 1993, before we had the Internet prevailing, we didn't have a way to do automatic stats. So my way that I had always done is I kept my own stats as the game was in progress. Mm-hmm. And so you you have times where that can really distract your concentration or you're trying to count rebounds while you're calling the game. Yeah. And if you have something like four rebounds on a possession, that goes. that's why you always would say the unofficial stats. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, that, that's exactly it. Because in many, in many cases, whether it's basketball or football, where you have a lot of players on the field and a lot of, a lot of stuff going on at once, you will have a spotter. Or you will have yep. someone who will keep track of those things that you, Steve, can focus on the broadcast and the play-by-play. That's right. And in small college, having a spotter is a very difficult thing to come about. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I, but I did the game, and, and I can tell you, I've gone back and watched that game before. I did one of the best radio play-by-plays that's ever been done on television. <laughs> uh, I, I, I literally was calling every movement of the ball. I was, I, I was, it sounded like a radio broadcast on TV. 
and I, I recognized, and even my wife looked at it, and she said, are you supposed to do that so much? And, and I said, you know, I don't think so. And I began to sit down that weekend because I got called saying, okay, we want you to keep doing this. And I get called that weekend and, and told that you're going to be doing this for the rest of the season. And so I did, and so I started watching heavily ESPN and the weekend network broadcasts, and I recognized that what I was doing was literally calling a radio game on television, and so that you have to let the pictures tell the story mm -hmm. on TV and cut back on all of your... Because on radio... The, the who's listening, they can't see anything. So you've got to describe everything. Mm -hmm. On television, less is more. Mm -hmm. So I had to adapt my style to be able to follow that and be more of a storyteller than I would be as a, you know, we're directing every movement that's going on on the floor. Uh, it was a big learning lesson, but uh, after that one incident, uh, I ended up doing it for 25 years, and uh, among the other things I ended up doing, I, I became, I did both men's and women's, so I did a double header virtually every telecast, but I ended up in 1998 becoming the uh, lead voice and executive producer for the NAIA Women's National Championship Tournament, and did that for 13 years. And I think it made me a better broadcaster because I had 32 teams in, and you you had to learn how to do a neutral broadcast. And so after that, I was much less of a homer on Union University games and more of a straight-down-the-middle broadcaster. Yeah. And I think that was it also was a great teaching opportunity for my students that you know, let's eliminate all of the personal pronouns like we, mm -hmm. our, us, and, and sounding so much like a homer on yeah. our, our broadcast. And, and so I learned an awful lot during that period that I think made me a better broadcaster. Steve Beverly is on the line with us. Steve Beverly, uh, Professor Emeritus of Communications Art at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. Steve called play-by-play -play for both the men's and women's basketball teams at Union University for 25 years. We're talking about Steve's background in sports broadcasting. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. You, you kind of touched on this in your own self-critical analysis of your first broadcast and how you went to the tape, uh, so to speak, in this case, watching e ESPN and you know ma making the corrections you had to do or, or, or adjustments you had to do for your next game and how that improved you as an announcer as you continue to do it. There's a lot of other preparation that you have to do for a game broadcast. And this is all in addition to your other prep as a teacher at Union University. About how much prep would you do on average from game to game? Usually it would be probably about an hour or two of intense prep on each game. Now, by the time you've gotten into the third or fourth game of the season, you know your own players. In fact, you know many of them who are carryovers from the previous year. But you also, you know, you've got to get adjusted to all the newcomers on your team, mm -hmm. but you, you pretty well have names and numbers associated, and you know hometowns. By the time you get to about maybe game three or four, you've got that pretty well embedded. 
but the challenge is with your visiting teams that you only see on your floor once a year, mm-hmm. uh, except except at tournament time. And and so one of the big challenges that you have, and I found more and more so as we began to incorporate more international players into American college basketball. You had, and the NAIA had a greater percentage of international players than the NCAA schools did. And so it was very, very challenging to have to go through a roster. And particularly if you didn't have a pronunciation guy, you had to go search <laughs> out that coach. Or I would, I, I would call the coach yeah. in advance and say, look, how do I pronounce these names? Because the worst thing in the world, if you can go on the air and you're telling about a person, and then all of a sudden you're totally butchering their name. Mm -hmm. I'm nodding my head. (laughs) Yeah, I've had some some dillies over the year. I mean, there there were just some. uh, Southern Nazarene was one of the uh, really just standout teams. They won multiple national championships. Uh, in NAIA women's basketball, but I, I can tell you they always had particularly they they had a pipeline to Senegal, and so they would always have players, and so they they had uh, the way the names were spelled were often nowhere near the way you would pronounce them, and so there were two young women from Senegal on a national championship team that they had that I was calling during the national tournament. And their names were Jai and Jop. And so we would get into a rhythm, Jai and Jop, Jai and Jop. Jai. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the way the names were spelled was nothing close. Yeah. You, you, you would not have pronounced it, but I, I will tell you this one story. I had a name, and this was early on in my career of doing college basketball, and and so uh, Union was playing a school from the St. Louis area called Lindenwood. And so they had a player, and I would always go through and double-check my my rosters before a game. And so (laughs) this... I had uh, one of my students was doing the game with me at this particular time. And, and so he came and he told me the name of this player on their roster. And this kid was a little bit, shall we say, he could be nefarious from time to time, mm-hmm. and I didn't trust him. So I said, I'm going over here. I said, I don't believe you. I'm going over here and talk to the coach myself. So I go, the coach's name is Steve Kolatz. And I said, Steve, I said, how do you pronounce this girl's name? He's told me, well, he confirmed that what my student had told me was correct. And I said, okay. He said, but don't worry about her. She's not going to get in the game. She's just a freshman, and y'all are going to kill us. So she's not going to get in the game, so don't even think about her. Yeah, likely story. Uh-huh. So we, we get down to the final minute of the game, and he puts her in. I said, well, I'm still not going to say anything about her unless she hits a basket. Well, wouldn't you know, about 20 seconds into her entrance to the game, she gets fouled, and she goes to the free throw line. Now, this young woman is from Belgium, and so I hold my breath, and I said, okay, I can get through this. I can get through this. I'm, I'm saying that to myself mentally, and I said, at the line is a newcomer for Lindenwood. She's a freshman. She is from Belgium, and her name is Lot Wilfart. <laughs> 
was her name. Now, I would have been fine. Yeah. I could have gotten through it. I shouldn't laugh. But, but th- yeah, you should. <laughs> but, but this kid next to me, who was doing color for the game, I say, Lot Wilfart. And he goes, could you give me that name again? <laughs> I want to tell you, and she got fouled again. I got to tell you, we giggled our way through the last yeah. five seconds of that game. So, you know, all of that to say that you have to really be intense to stay on top of these things because with a 32-team tournament, and I typically was calling about 18 of those games in a week, you really had to do your homework and make sure you got pronunciations right, yeah. but also up- updated statistics. Okay, and then if the game is a blowaway, you got to go into more entertainment mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. if you call a straight game and suddenly there's a thirty or forty point differential, you know it, the, the game itself has lost interest to most of the viewers, and so you really go into more. So I, I was always prepared to go into more storytelling or entertainment mode at that point to get us through till we got to the very end of the game. Yeah, just because the game is bad doesn't mean the broadcast has to be bad. No, and that's the one thing that I always tried to teach my students, and, and it's one of the things that I learned by my idol in basketball broadcasting was Dick Enberg. Mm-hmm. And I think you'd find that most people during his era that did that, they aspired to have the talents that he did. Mm-hmm. And and so his book, Oh My, he did, there were two great things that I learned from him amongst many things, but that was exactly what you just talked about, that just because a game is bad, you can't be bad. You can't go into... Uh, a lower gear, and then all of a sudden coast your way through the end of it, you've still got to be on and present as competent a broadcast as you possibly can, even if it's a blowout. The other thing I learned from him is don't, if particularly if you've got two strong contenders and you sense this is a game that's going to go down to the final couple of minutes, don't give everything away in the first half of the game. In other words, if somebody gets this gigantic 35-foot shot in the opening moments of the game, all right, you might pump it up a little, but don't pump it up as if it is the end of the game because if you do, you have nothing left to build the drama mm-hmm. at the end, mm-hmm. on the opposite end. And you got to remember, you are, you are building drama for the folks at home, and the, a sportscaster just lives, particularly in basketball, for a game that comes down to a buzzer beater. Yep. And I came out, I came out of retirement to do uh, the NCAA Division II uh, South Regionals last year, and I had the very last game I did was a buzzer beater that literally stripped the strings as the horn went off. And after all those years, you're prepared for it. The girl's name was Sadie Nee, K-N-E-E. And so she gets the ball two seconds left. I know it's going to leave her hand. And so you go with something like this. Timmy Brando's the best at doing this. Knee for win! Yes! You know, and then you just punctuate it like that. Yeah. And there, but you're prepared for that because if you know that you've got two teams 
that it's probably going to come down to that. You save that for the end. You don't try to go high drama at the beginning. Steve Beverly from Union University is with us, sharing a few stories about his 25-year experience doing play-by-play for men's and women's collegiate basketball, including 13 years on a national level. We're talking about what it takes to make a big call in sports, whether you're calling basketball, baseball, football, or golf. We'll continue our conversation with Steve on the other side of the break. Plus, we'll take a look at what's on tap this month on Steve's weekly cable show, Steve Beverly's TV Classics. All that more, we continue our conversation with Steve Beverly here on TV Confidential. You can now purchase T-shirts, mugs, caps, hoodies, wall clocks, and other gifts with the TV Confidential logo from the official TV Confidential merchandise shop. For more information, go to televisionconfidential.com forward slash merchandise or cafepress.com forward slash TV Confidential, cafepress.com forward slash TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at tvconfidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.